0: But for us to access a psychologist is, I don't want to say next to impossible, but it's very, very hard to to get one.
1: Having access to the curriculum is a human right. Children don't
0: see differences. It's the adults that see differences. I think it's a bit of an eye-opener for families because when when kids are in school, they have access to everything. You know, there's all these different supports and services around to help help their children. This is
2: Michelle Lam from Leaning In and Speaking Out, a podcast hosted by Brandon University's CARES Research Centre. This podcast is part of a special series on social justice in education, conducted by students in Gustavo Mora's class called Schools as Complex Spaces. Jackie and I would like to extend our heartfelt thanks to Gustavo, his students and their guests who are having crucial conversations about what it means to educate within contexts like the climate crisis, racism, addictions and more. Thank you and enjoy the show.
3: Hello my name is Jocelyn Zimmer
4: and
2: I'm Katie
3: Mandel and we are first-year education students at Brandon University.
4: Um, Today we have three guests with us to talk to us about people with disabilities and their experiences with schools programming, and jobs.
3: Um, we will let Candace, Root, and Sue introduce themselves and their involvement with people with disabilities.
0: Um, I'm Candace and I'm from a rural community just outside of Brandon, and I look after a day program for individuals with disabilities. They generally come to our uh, services after the age of 21. There is a transition time um, of a few years where we work alongside the schools, um, you know, visit with individuals in their in their classroom Um, they come and visit us uh, so on so there is a transition of about four or five years in there.
1: Um, I'm Ruth Um, I'm from Brazil initially I moved here about five years ago Um, currently I'm working for the Winnipeg School Division Um, in Brazil I was a teacher and an occupational therapist right now in our division I'm working as a student service support teacher curriculum so i give support to teachers and school support teams in appropriate programming for students. I am Sue Merrick. I'm a consultant
5: here in Winnipeg School Division. I support, I'm one of three consultants. We support 79 schools as a team. Uh, Under me specifically, I have uh, five inclusion support teachers who each support approximately five schools. And oh, this is only my second year in this position. Prior to that, I was transitioning students or children into school for their first school experience, which is really my
3: passion. Alrighty, so I guess we'll start off with some questions for you guys.
5: Let's start
4: with um, Root, if you want to answer. What does your school or school division do to help students with disabilities?
1: Our responsibility as a part of the inclusion support service to provide appropriate programming for students through the curriculum. So when students are struggling and they're showing difficulty in meeting the expectations, the, the learning expectations, we, with the support of the school team, which is the school principal, parents, and when it's a, Possible, the students we plan for the to the students' needs according to what they're struggling with. So, depending on the student, we will plan for what if they have a learning disability, if they have the intellectual disability, if they have a specific diagnosis or not. Then we would have be programming for those students.
4: um So, maybe what are some programs available for them? We do. We
5: we do have a number of programs in our division, specifically here at Inclusion Support Services, where where Ruth and Mm -hmm. I work. We have a teacher of the deaf and hard of hearing who supports our our hearing impaired population. And we have uh, a school psychologist who works with us and supports us and um, helps us go through all of these very complex. Uh, psycho- psychological assessments. Um, we have a um, a team of safe and caring schools, uh, teachers who uh, go out into the schools and they uh, support Positive Behavior Intervention Program, which is PBIS. Um, sorry, Positive Intervention, Positive Behavior Intervention. Sorry about yeah. that. And um, we have two neurodiverse teachers on staff as well, one who specifically works with students who have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, and one who supports students who have autism spectrum disorder. We have a healthy mind specialist who um, really helps out with all of the mental health in our division. Boy, and since the pandemic, she's been very, very busy. (laughs) Yep. Um, We also have a student services teacher who supports our Indigenous population. Um, And we have two early inclusive support teams. We call them East. It's early inclusion support team. And those teams are made up of a teacher a speech pathologist, an occupational therapist, and a education psychologist, assistant. and an, edu- an education and, assistant. And, mm-hmm. and those um, teams go into four schools per team per year, and they really provide a lot of PD and modeling, and um, they're, they've been a really, really good support.
1: We also have some inclusion support teachers, and those are the ones that work st- directly with Sue um, or with the consultants. So they, as Sue has a third of all the schools in the division, right? So she has approximately 25 schools that she supports. And then she has five inclusion support teachers and they have each one of them, like five schools that they go at least once a week and they're looking at the student specific needs and supporting students with bridging everything that we have here as supports and bringing it to schools and collaborating with the schools. Um, My role is also one of the supports, one of the programs that our division um, provides. It's a new role. It's the curriculum, inclusion, student service support teacher curriculum. So now we go to schools and not only look at how the students have been placed in schools, but we also look at how the students are learning and what are the adaptations and what are the, how can teachers differentiate the instruction? So students are actually learning schools and they're not just not there physically there, but they're actually learning. And this position is
5: new this year. Uh, We got one curriculum support teacher for each of the teams so Ruth also, along with me, we both support all of these 26 schools. Now, the reason we came, I don't know, invented this, we created this position, is because the um, the government, uh, Manitoba Education, came out with some new standards for student services and there are new guidelines for appropriate educational programming. And what uh, the sort of... the. Uh, Pretty big or significant change to uh, this document and that our practice is students who have historically not been accessing the curriculum, students who have a mild, moderate, severe, or profound intellectual disability. So, for those students who do have intellectual disabilities, we've always provided individual education planning or student-specific planning for areas that are outside of the curriculum, but we've never really had to have a plan for these students to be accessing grade level curriculum. So this is a pretty significant change. I think it's a very positive change. I think it's, if you're looking at equity and you're Mm -hmm. looking at diversity and you're looking at inclusion, this is very, very important, but it is sort of a mind shift. It's a paradigm shift really in, in, um, in schools. So uh, as exciting as it is, there's, there are processes and documents that need to be created and planning that needs to be um, put in place. So we created Ruth's position to support teachers in modifying the curriculum and changing the curriculum and creating what the government is calling a CMP, a curriculum modification plan. And this is a new student-specific plan that's been added. So um, schools just really, like teachers, needed help
1: with with doing this. And so if we're going to talk about social justice, it's important to emphasize that having access to the curriculum Is a human right. And unless students um, qualify to have this modification plan, all the other students, they need to be accessing grade level curriculum learning outcomes. And how the teachers are going to do that, how we are going to plan for these students, that's part of my role to go to schools and work with these teachers. So it's a big thing. And it's it's good that we are working on that now.
3: Yeah. Yes. So for you, Candice, are the programs similar once they age out of school or? What I've
0: seen and from from my understanding is once they transition out of um, the school system, the majority of the programs, um, like where I am out in the rural areas, we have our, our social worker Um, that manages the individuals and works with either group homes or their families, because a lot of them still live at home. But for us to access a psychologist is, I don't want to say next to impossible, but it's very, very hard to to get one. Um, So if you think all we really have access to in our town are general family physicians who don't specialize uh, with individuals with disabilities. Um, trying to get proper OT and PT out here and assessments is, is hard because we're in our, um, our regional health, you know, area who, I mean, there's a long wait list to get into a lot of those services um, to have access to a URSS nurse, for instance, this, you know, the nurse will go into the school and do all this training with these individuals like every year. Um, once they turn 21, that's done. We don't have access to that out here. So it's, uh, our programming looks a lot different than the school system, just because we don't have access to the same services. Uh, We're also funded very, very differently. You know, a lot of students who might have one-on-one funding or access to one-on-one support, very rarely does somebody in a day program setting or residential setting get one-to-one funding um very rarely Uh, it's it's a very long process to get one-on-one funding and it's usually only conditional um they have to be extremely violent a health like a safety risk to themselves and to others before you would get one-on-one funding so like i said our because of that our programming looks very very different um than the school system and i i'm not sure I think it's a bit of an eye opener for families because when, when kids are in school, they have access to everything. You know, there's all these different supports and services around to help their, help their children. And then it's, it's kind of done once, once they leave. Um, You know, we've, we've just recently been able to access the services from St. Amont center uh, in Winnipeg, which has been wonderful uh, because up until now, We've been at a loss with, with how to support some of our individuals. Um, the St. Amant Centre has been wonderful because they use a whole team approach, which is something that, again, we don't have out here. So once we can we can get our foot in the door at St. Amant Centre, then all of a sudden we have access to a pharmacist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a behaviour specialist, a social worker, uh, a psych nurse. They're all part of this team. And again, that's that's just come about recently that they've been able to leave or help our individuals outside the perimeter. uh, Because up until, I don't know if it's just been in the last year, St. Center has only worked with individuals in the city. So for this rural team, um, there's a triage. So you send in all your paperwork and do all your interviews and so on. And then they determine how much of a priority you are on their their list. And then it's an intensive um, three months that they give you, but it's great. But uh, the programs that we can access are significantly different than the programs that the, that the schools have access to.
3: Yeah. And um, so for rural communities, how could you get more resources out there like access to a psychiatrist or is that just like impossible or really I, hard?
0: It's hard because um, you need you need a psychologist or psychiatrist to move to your area and be willing to open up their caseload you know Winnipeg you know usually like Winnipeg looks after Winnipeg right um and like I said in our whole RHA um right now we have one um that's looking after everybody and not just individuals with disabilities but we have one psychiatrist psych- psychiatrist sorry that's looking after everybody I, I I don't know how we'd get more access or you know in any and where we are right now, we do have an OT and a PT, but they have certain specialties or they have their education in certain areas. So they may not feel comfortable doing certain assessments because that's just not that's not their specialty. And again, if we were in a larger center, you might be able to find somebody in OT that has the education to do the assessment that you're looking for. Good. Um, This whole COVID has been very advantageous to us for a lot of things because we can do all of a sudden now we're able to access people from Winnipeg um, that we weren't able to access easily before uh, because we're a two and a half, two to two and a half hour drive. So somebody from Winnipeg basically has to give up a whole day to come out and see us. So
1: are you able to do things online, like to see clinicians online? Is that what you're saying?
0: uh we can uh, through the saint Amant center yes but those um also have to be pre-approved from our social workers workers so community living disability services uh is responsible for setting up and getting us in touch or contacting like um, community living disability services contracts our residential care our day program for these people
4: yeah that's a real eye-opener just to see the differences between the programs between like the city and rural places oh
0: if, if you think of even you know what an educational assistant gets paid um versus what our direct support workers get paid it's it's a huge huge difference so it's also hard to attract direct service workers um So a lot of our population of people that work usually have two jobs. They come and they work, you know, either in residential in the evenings and then they go work somewhere else during the day or they work for day program and then they leave and they go and they work somewhere else in the evenings just to try to make things, make ends meet. So that's also, you know, a a difference is the funding. The money the government sends for, puts in for education and educational assistance is significantly more than what our direct service workers get from the government also.
4: Great, um, so our next question um, is kind of focused on, for more, for most students, um, school has become the place where they engage with their peers and create lasting friendships and acquaintances. So maybe Rupt or Sue, How can we ensure that these students get their typical social interaction from school, such as friendships and social skills? I'll start. Mm
5: -hmm. Um, I'm a really, really big believer in early intervention. And I believe that when students all enter kindergarten together or nursery or daycare, children don't see differences. It's the adults that see differences. So, when we grow up together in an inclusive environment, the relationships are built. Diversity is the norm, it's not different. Um, I have a, a sweatshirt that says it's not diversity without disability. I think that um, when we remove students who do have disabilities, from their homeschool and from their peers, we are encouraging, what's the word, like the a separation, separation between segregation. Yeah. We're, we're encouraging, we're not encouraging an inclusive mindset. Mm-hmm. And so like Ruth got a nice example here. Yeah,
1: we were talking about this and Sue said, well, why don't you talk, talk about your son? And I was like, what do you mean? And then it's because the other day we were talking and, I told sue that when i we moved here from Brazil my son could barely speak English and one of his friends in his classroom in his kindergarten classroom had down syndrome and he he was he he couldn't communicate through like through words he, he couldn't really speak and my son learned sign language and my son's best friend had down syndrome but he never really talked about that till like he was I think he was in grade three at the time when he realized that someone talked about some difference and why his friend needed some extra time to do things that he was already able to do. But still, it's one of his best friends. And it was so important for him to have that friend there because he could not only relate to him, but he could make a friendship. He could have a friend that was there for him and he could communicate at his level students don't see kids don't see the difference as the adults see it if we let kids just explore their friendships and find out who they are as they are without being told who they have to be that's what, how we can act, actually value the diversity and value who who we are i think it's a it's a whole culture perspective that we have here in Canada. And I really appreciate that. It was one of the things that I really appreciate when moving from Brazil. Our role, our vision is to have all students integrated in regular classrooms. We only provide programs out of the school when the school, their the school at their uh, students' catchment is not able to provide the supports that the students need. But even though when sometimes when we see that the, it's the students need to be at their home school we take the supports to those students right and valuing diversity and inclusion is when we see all students as a diverse community not really this or that student is included there it's when we value them all as all different we are all, we all have our own background, our own difference, our own language, our own taste, right? I had this thought the other day when I was watching the the
5: Paralympics. I was watching hockey and it was the, I don't know, I forget which teams, but they were playing on the same ice that the Canadians and the American, like the, the regular, typical, whatever, Olympics were were um playing on and I was thinking like why do we have to separate the paralympics from the regular olympics why don't we have like canada play russia and then have the the paralympians, paralympians compete against each other at the same time so that everybody gets to celebrate everybody gets to to win and lose together. Um, I don't think inclusion as a society will will never be truly inclusive until we start seeing these shifts. And I'm just wondering how we can go about doing that
1: and how we go about doing that is education. Maybe our next generation
0: will be able to implement some things like that, right? I think that's that's an important point um and one one advantage to living in a small town is we only have one school you know one i shouldn't say one school we have one elementary school and we have middle years and we have a high school but these kids generally all grow up together and all of the kids are all included because there isn't another school for them to go to like this is it But also I find in our community, like we all know when you're in the one grocery store and you hear somebody, we all know whose little girl that is because we've all been watching her grow up for the last 18 years. We know who that we know who she is and we know that they're in the store. And I just find when we're in a small town, everybody is included because you do see these people everywhere. And there isn't an option for them to go to another school and so they are fully integrated and i i remember when my one daughter was was younger if they had a substitute teacher in she would be the one that would step up and say okay so and so this is what we usually do for them You know, when the rest of the kids in that class would would step up and say, this is how we support this this person in our our room. And it's not really any different now as, as they're older because they've been with them the whole way through. And you see them at the pool, you see them at the grocery store, you see them at the rink. They're not really segregated in a small town because everybody knows everybody here. There is that is one advantage to where we are.
5: Absolutely. We, we live in a different, I personally live in a different school division than Winnipeg school division. And our division doesn't have programs. Right. So everybody's included. Same thing. When we drive down the street, we put down our windows and we say hi to kids who have. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Much, much better. I
3: Yeah. All right. So Candace, um, for your participants at your program, how can you ensure that they are getting a job, or if if they are able to get a job, how can you ensure ensure that it's best suited for them, and how can you ensure that they are successful at their job?
0: Um, what are um, so generally once they get to a certain age in high school, they start getting uh, work. At, Work placement and work experience um, before they even come to us. They so they should have volunteered. They should already have access to certain skills. So that by the time they get to us, we have you know we have one fellow that's carried on from his high school job. He just kept going. Now that he's he's part of our our group, so that really um, starts when they are in school, part of their work placement, um, getting them out in the community and building up some skills. Uh, Then once they do, once they're with us, um, the community is pretty good at uh, incorporating and adapting and and accommodating. We do, we try to find out what they're interested in first, what their strengths are. Can they go to work with a a staff member with them, you know, to shadow with them? Uh, Then eventually, you know, we work up to where they don't need staff with them. Or do we need to be there all the time? Uh, we start out, with, we have lots of volunteer placements in the community that are regularly scheduled that we volunteer for. Uh, and if things are working well and if the um, job placement, volunteer placement, likes what's happening, then they may ask for them to stay and do a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more on their own without us or outside of our programming. Um, and we just hope eventually they, they get paid and paid employment part of our issue one disadvantage of being in a small community is there aren't as many job openings or opportunities for employment in our our smaller town Um, and again there are advantages to being here but there are also disadvantages and finding employment placements um, is a little bit trickier we are working on it Uh, it is we have a new um job placement person within our organization Um, we're starting with volunteer work and COVID has has been a little bit tricky also because some of our individuals because they live in a group home they're restricted a little bit more as to where they were able to be out in the community Um, some of them were quite nervous um, because they hear all this stuff about being out in public and catching it they didn't necessarily want to go to their placement so we've had some struggles in the last couple of years with with covid um, for various reasons Clds also has its own set of rules for people outside of like the provincial government regulations Clds has its own, restrictions you know so like last summer when everybody was allowed to be mask free our participants our individuals still had to wear their masks when they were out in public um, and that makes it tricky for them to understand because on one hand they're supposed to be treated like everybody else but on the other you because you live in a group home you need to be wearing a mask when you're out in in mm. public so it's there's two standards there, and that also affected employment and volunteer placement uh, and what they were able to do. Um, some of them, you know, were in the fast food industry. Well, when those, you know, dine-in part were closed, then they their employment wasn't there. So we're, it's, we're working on that. Um, it's not advantageous necessarily in the rural community to find employment, but we are you know we have our snow removal and yard care and paper deliveries and cleaning we have one lady that's at the daycare and one is at the elementary school a couple at grocery stores um some out at our plant that's out here so
4: it's coming yeah that's um a great start to get them into the working place um so the next question, um, everyone can answer. Um, you can just sort of summarize your answer in a couple of sentences. Um, so what is the role of society in terms of providing options for people who do not have access to a facility like programs in or out of school?
5: I can talk a little bit to this. I think that um, disability, disability awareness is um, an important um an important anyway disability awareness learning about it being included in the in the high school at the high school level being included at the university level and also understanding that when we advocate for ourselves when we advocate for others change can happen
1: yeah i think that the awareness of the disabilities and talking about it, letting the kids talk about it, let the students talk about it, let them explore the idea that your needs are just different than mine. It's not that you have higher needs than I do, but it's just different and we all need supports. It's when, what we need to do is provide supports when students need supports, not if they need. It's to have those supports available so everybody can be successful. And literally talking about it because mental health, it's here. Um, We have been talking about it and having students exploring um, what is mental mental health? How can we, what are the things that we can do, for example? Um, It's it's important to, there's a lot of conversations yeah. around self-regulation,
3: mm-hmm.
1: co-regulation.
5: And are you guys familiar with that? I'm not okay. sure.
3: No, I don't know what it is.
5: Okay, this is something you should start Googling. Um, it's super, super important um, to, to new teachers to understand that we all have a central nervous system and we all have an autonomic nervous system. And when you understand your own autonomic nervous system, what happens when you start to feel frustrated or hungry or mad or which, whatever, there are so many different feelings and emotions. And um, I mean, just biological needs that, that we have to meet. If we understand our own, we can help students understand their own there's an expression um oh shanker steward shanker google steward shanker and um join the merit center it's free uh he just opened up all of his resources they're completely free uh they used to be i think it was 99 dollars a year it's a great guide to understanding that if you're calm your students will be calm if you're calm your children will be calm. But you have to know in yourself, like right now I'm nervous. I don't like being interviewed. So I notice my face is turning red. I'm getting hot. I have ADD, so I'm also all over the place. Um, and I know that about myself. And so I have my notepad here. I'm doodling. I'm listening. I'm, I've am i made my own accommodations. And this is what's keeping me regulated so that I don't run out of here like I'm on fire because <laughs> I don't like being interviewed. Or I don't like being spotlighted. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but i know that about myself and so i'm deep breathing i'm picking my nails i'm doing whatever it is i have to do so if you understand that about yourself you can start teaching kids to understand that about themselves this will be a game changer for new for for university students
3: yeah no i think i once you said it like that now i think i know i know what you're talking about but i just didn't really understand the terms um, so for Candice, do you have any thoughts on what the role of society is in terms of providing options for people who have access?
0: I think part of the biggest thing is just awareness, and I think people are more aware um, as we all get older. Like if you think years and years and years ago, anybody who was slightly different would not be seen in public. They were sent away to an institution and that's where they stayed. They weren't even seen. Um, And now, like, my kids are growing up with these people who would normally have been locked away. They're growing up with them. They're part of their life. So as they become adults, there is a certain level of understanding there. And so our society is changing slowly but it is changing and it, it, it is a very big eye opener. And when you, you know, you see how well accepted some of these families are, you know, in our community. And then you hear stories of them getting on an airplane and flying somewhere else. Well, all of a sudden they're exposed to these people who are not understanding because they've never seen that. They've never had to sit beside somebody with a disability before. Never mind sit beside them for three hours on a plane. And I, I think it's just that that awareness and getting people out there in public that will help society. Um, and we have come a long way. If if you look at to where we were now, that's not to say we still don't have a long way to go. But the change is happening, um, and people are more accepting they are realizing that, you know, we might have this great restaurant or this great movie theater. And again, even up to 10 years ago, they may not have been physically accessible for some of these people. And now they are. I think that the accessibility piece is a huge thing for
1: for this awareness, right? And social media now is giving everyone a voice to talk about their own experiences. I often tell Sue that, She brings so much to the conversation because of her own experiences. And that's what we need to hear. We need to hear those that go through all this so we can learn, we can empathize with what they are going through and think about how we can, how can we be more supportive, right? And with social media, we can bring, uh, we can see a lot of what people are going through. And it's so, and that's the awareness you're talking about, Candice.
3: Mm-hmm. A yeah, good person sure.
5: to to also start reading is uh, Brené Brown. She talks a lot about empathy. She talks about the difference between empathy and sympathy. Just throwing that out there.
3: Um, I think that's all of our questions. If you guys have any questions for us, go ahead. I'd like
5: to share some statistics if that's okay. So
3: I'm just going to talk about
5: autism spectrum disorder. Not going to talk about other. Uh, disabilities or I don't even like to call autism a disability I don't think it's a disability I think it's a special ability anyway, we have in Winnipeg uh, the child development clinic who um, diagnoses and assesses children from uh, birth to age five. We were sh- sharing numbers with all of the preschool services and um it was brought to our attention just fairly recently that the numbers of students who are being diagnosed on the spectrum have been, there's been a huge increase. So in 2019, just in Winnipeg alone, there were 250 children diagnosed on the spectrum. In 2020, there were 260 And in 2021, there were 600. So education students and universities and kindergarten teachers and grade one teachers are really going to, they're going to have to know how to teach, how to co-regulate, how to embrace, how to see the good, how to look at these students not as a disability not as a diagnosis but as somebody's child as somebody's little person that will eventually who will eventually be a contributing member of society i know several autistic adults or adults with autism who are extremely successful so um it's a it's a number that um it 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 kind of scares me because I don't know that we're so prepared for it, that teachers are prepared for it, but it's sure going to um, force us to be prepared because um, these students really do have, we, we have a lot to offer. Everybody can learn from everybody, but the numbers are
1: very, very high. And the way as teachers we have to program, as Sue said, we have to teach, and then we have to assess, and then we have to report. All that is so important for the teachers to be prepared, because what in the past was used to be seen as all oh, that student will go to that program. Now, what we try to do is those students go to their home school, and how are the teachers will be make using adaptations and programming for the students how are the schools are going to plan and have all the supports in place will depend on us and you guys are the next generation of teachers so it's important that you always look at the data of that we can have so we can prepare for who are going to be our students in 5 10 15 years what are the things that i need to learn today that will impact the way I'm teaching in five years, for example.
3: So do you think that like a mandatory university class on learning how to teach these students would be? One hundred percent. What we need to do is
5: focus on neurodiversity, not necessarily just autism, because there are a number of abilities that we need to be able to teach. ADHD being one of them.
1: Yeah, we've been looking at some data in our division. And when we look at the what we called the individual educational plan or the the specific plan for students that have goals that are outside of the curriculum, and we look at the diagnosis, there's a huge um, the data shows that there's a huge number, like the number of students that have a diagnosis of ADHD, for example, it's also increasing. so now that we know that, we need to ask ourselves, are we ready to teach those students, to teach the curriculum, to support them with interaction, socialization, language, learning, all that?
5: Another word? Interoception. Look that one up too.
3: I-N-T-E-R-O-C-E-P-T-I-O-N. Okay. Um, Candice, do you have any questions or anything to share? You know? No. Okay, then I think we're all good. Um, So thank you guys so much for your your input. And I know I learned a lot. I really did.
2: You've been listening to Leaning In and Speaking Out, a Research Connection podcast from Brandon University. For more episodes or to learn more about the BU Cares Research Centre, please visit our website at bucares.ca Or you can come find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts.